our month of compassion. And the reading for today in the New Testament, um, I'm going to submit to you is actually a call of love and compassion from Jesus. Uh, these words are what we would call maybe the hard sayings of Jesus. And uh, I think they are there for a reason, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. But how I think Jesus is calling us through this, these words um, to grow in compassion, to grow in his likeness, because he's the ultimate master of compassion and grace. Uh, hear these words of Luke chapter 14. Now large, large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So, therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you not, do not give up all of your possessions. See what I said by hard sayings? <laughs> when you read that, it can sound one way, but we have to read the Bible in the context with, uh, with itself, the totality of all of what the Bible says. And the readings in the other services, the Old Testament reading, is Psalm 139. If you're familiar with Psalm 139, we know it says intimate things like, Search me, O God, and know me, and see if there's any unrighteous way within me, and remove it, and lead me into life everlasting. For you know the number of my days. You saw me when I was knit together in my mother's womb. There's this intimate love and compassion in that imagery of God, that God is he's acquainted with our frailties. He knows the way we were formed. So that same God is saying those words in Luke 14. And he's saying, basically, if you want to be like me, if you want to follow me, if you want to grow, disciple means disciplined one, and grow in that discipline of being like me, then take up your cross and count the cost. And you're probably thinking, hey man, this is Labor Day weekend. Can you preach something like sitting on a hammock by the dock of the bay, you know? It's Labor Day. But I would submit to you that Jesus' words here are actually a call to come away with him, a call to follow, a call to live a, a, a very full life by following him. And the God who knows us so very intimately, who knows us so very deeply, it, because of that intimacy with all human beings that he knows, he has the authority to proclaim what we deeply need to hear the most, that he knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows that, especially that crowd that was gathered around him then, or just like us today, if he, when he says to them, you have to lay it all down and follow me because that's what you actually need the most. You don't even know what you need, but I know what you need. See, God knows what we tend to trust more that's usually more than God. We trust all this other stuff besides God many times. 
So again, again and again in the Bible, people trust things, sometimes literal idols, of gold and stone and wood and mammon, that's like money and physical pleasure, and we want us to find life and peace, and we're trying to trust all these different things, and the crowds around Jesus back then were no different. And here's Jesus' answer to them. Lay it all down. Don't trust anything more than me. Or anyone, he says. Now, the word there, hate, can be translated differently. Hate in English to us means, like, you literally despise your family. He's really just saying, don't just put me as number one in your life. Put me as the center of who you are. The very, the very, the very, the very middle and the center of your very life. And if you do that, if you let go of everything else for me, you will find life. And I'm going to dig into that a little bit more. Because what he's saying here is just critical. It's a huge philosophical lesson here. How do you find true life? What is the purpose to life? Why are you here? What, do you, what, is, what is your calling? Who are you trying to become as a person? See, Jesus is answering all of that with this one statement. And he's not saying, you know, take a class or fill out a form or mail in a check or vote for a certain candidate or go on a website, download an app. No, he didn't say any of that. He said, come away with me and leave it all behind. And it's a, it's, a, it's a step of faith. I acknowledge that. But I will lead you on the greatest adventure of your life. And I want to show you how to be like me. But I can't show you how to be like me if you're full of yourself. I can't fill something that's already full. So you have to empty it out so that I can fill it. So I can reside there. So he gives two answers here. Take up the cross and count the cost. The first, he said, again, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus was not afraid to divide his audience, was he? I guess he didn't go to a church growth seminar, right? I mean, there's other stories in the New Testament where he says very hard things, and people literally walk away. All the crowds go, whoa, eat your flesh? (laughs) No, thanks. Drink your blood? Don't think so. Uh, Lay it all down? Leave it behind? No, no, I'm not going to do that. And these are hard sayings. And even Jesus looks at the the disciples at those moments and says, what about y'all? What are you going to do? And they said, Lord, where will we go? You alone have the words of life. You're the logos. You're the word, the living word of God. And this is what the the word of God says here. Carry the cross. Now, when, when we read that, we think, well, we know Jesus died on the cross. We, we know that. Now, these people, they didn't know that. They didn't know Jesus was going to die on a cross. When he said that, they were like, what? They knew crosses. They saw them everywhere. The Romans crucified people all over the place. On the side. They typically put them on the side of roads so that you would walk by and say, this is the Romans saying, don't mess with us because that will happen to you if you try and stir up a rebellion. So they saw crucified people all the time. Brutal way to die. Torture. So when they heard Jesus' words here, they would have thought of things like enslavement, ridicule, of course, death, beating, empire. I mean, very tough ask. And we know that the, many of the, the disciples would die by crucifixion. But here, do you know this? All the ones that died by crucifixion, they refused to die as Jesus died. So they said, 
if you crucify me, you've got, you got to crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to die the way he died. Think about that. I'm not even worthy to die. And when they got beaten for him, they celebrated it. They were happy <laughs> in the book of Acts. Anyway, that's a side sidebar. Um, so in today's world, though, of course, we don't have crosses lying around. We don't have to literally carry a cross. Although there was a guy who walked across the United States carrying a cross. You ever hear about that? Pretty cool. It was on wheels. And he, he carried it from coast to coast and witnessed across the country. But in today's world, he's really saying, deny yourself and follow me. Empty yourself. Go without for me, not necessarily physical things, but just give all of who you are to me. It's almost like this holy transaction of faith. Sometimes in my life, I've tried to go without things, right? Uh, multiple times in my life, I've done a very stupid thing and gone without coffee. <laughs> multiple times, thinking, I'll sleep better. I'll be more patient. I won't get, be so irritable. I'll drink green tea instead. You've heard me talk about this. And it's true. When I go without coffee, I realize, hey, maybe I'm a little bit too much of a hurry. Maybe I get a little bit too sweaty, a little bit too angry. Because um, when you go without it, it made me realize kind of what was controlling me when you're going without the thing, right? It's almost like a mirror that you hold up to your life. And when you go without it, it realized what you're depending on um, besides that thing. Like, but then you realize, that's so stupid. Coffee makes magic happen. So, of course I start drinking coffee again. Or you go without food, right? If you like Lenten kind of stuff, and you go without food. Now, you know, in America, we don't go without much, right? We are hardly anything. You can get whatever you want, the touch of a button on your phone. I remember when I first got the first iPhone in 2007, I felt like such a cool guy, and it probably lasted like 30 minutes of battery life or something. But I remember lying in bed and ordering something from my phone, and I felt like the Jetsons, man. I was like living the future. <laughs> Kids today, you have no idea. But you, you go without food. I want, I've gone without food for maybe a day, right? And when you go without it, and you're hungry, and you get kind of cranky, you realize how dependent on it I am. And I really don't need it. I mean, you need it every once in a while, but you really don't. But you realize how dependent on it you are. I've come to determine that rush hour at traffic-wise is really just people rushing home to eat. That's all it is. <laughs> Everyone just wants to go eat. That's all we're going. But if you go without, it's like a mirror. You hold up to your life, and you're emptying yourself. You're denying yourself. It reveals what con is controlling you. And that's the beauty, the spiritual discipline of fasting. One of the beauties of it is that it shows you the inner workings of your thought life and what's really important to your life. So when you strip away all that stuff, what you think is important, you realize, I think, what's more important. And Jesus is saying this to us and to all these people back then. Deny yourself. And people back then, though, when they heard this, take up the cross, are you crazy? Why would I, why would I die to myself in order to find myself? Why would I give up my life to find my life? That, doesn't, that seems, seems counterintuitive, Right? In the, in the worldly way of thinking. It's like, no. If I want something, I go and I take it. Or I buy it. But in the kingdom of God perspective, everything's flipped upside down. The last are first. The first are last. The weak are made strong. The strong will be humbled. The proud, etc., etc. It goes on and on and on. In, the, in, the, in, in the, the kingdom of God perspective. And that's what Jesus is portraying here. Is that 
This is the way to life. If you want to live, do this. Give your life away and you'll find it. And it's not as implausible of a concept as you might imagine. Like C.S. Lewis wrote this many, many years ago. I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't like reading off a page if I don't have to. But he brilliantly said, you know, giving away your life is actually all over modern day life. Like, for example, if you're always trying to make a good impression on people and you're like, you know, kind of over eager, that's kind of annoying, right? You're not really being, you can't try to be authentic, right? You just have to be, you just are. If, if, you're, if you're trying to be original in art or literature, it's not going to work. But if you just stop thinking about it, you'll be original without, without, without even trying. This principle runs from life from top to bottom. If you give up yourself, you'll find yourself. If you lose your life, you will save it. If you submit to death, death of your everyday ambitions, and submit your whole being to him, you'll find eternal life. Keep nothing back from Jesus. And nothing you have not given away will ever be really yours. Nothing that has not died will not be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you'll find in the long run only hatred, rage, ruin, decay, and eventually death. But if you look for Christ, you will find him and everything else thrown in that you thought that you actually deeply needed. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom, right? You know this? Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. Jesus taught that to a crowd of people that were desperate for food and clothing, and he said to them, why are you so obsessed with all this stuff? Seek first the God and the kingdom, and God will add to you what you need in the right time. But let's reprioritize your life and put first things first. And that's really what a lot of what we do in church is learning how to reorder our loves and put them in a way that is in harmony with what God wants for our lives. But this concept of letting go of life to find life, man, I can't stress this enough. This is a key concept to, f- to finding eternal life, to knowing Christ. It's like a veil being pulled back and you see a pathway to joy if this clicks in your brain. So Jesus says, count the cost and, and, or, yeah, take up the cross and count the cost. When I think about counting the cost, I think about buying a house. Because you get a home inspection, right? At least, at least I hope you did. <laughs> You'll be able, you wish you did if you didn't. Um, you get a home inspection, right? You count the cost there. Make sure the roof is good. Make sure there's not a raccoon in the attic or something. Make sure your foundation's not cr- cracked. And if you're wise, you do that. You Look at the contract, and you read it through, and Jesus is kind of saying that here in a loose analogy, except this is way more important than a mortgage. There's a church leader named John Oros who spoke to um, underground churches in Romania when, during the Soviet occupation of much of the 20th century, and they would have these secret church meetings, and they would minister to these Romanians, and John Oros said, he would preach, and people would come forward after the church service, which was all dangerous for everybody involved, and they would come to him and say, we want to become a Christian. I would like to be a Christian. And they would say to them, that is good. You want to be a Christian. Good. But we have to tell you there's a price to be paid. You, you might want to reconsider it because many things can happen to you. You can lose, and you can lose big. And then, though, almost the majority, majority of those people chose to, be, to go through a class, and then they came forward and said, we want to be baptized. 
They came to them and said, that's really good. You want to be a Christian and you want to get baptized. That is excellent. But there are informers here in the crowds that will write down your name and report it to their communist managers, if that's what they call them, leaders. Um, And then tomorrow your problems will start. So count the cost. Because it will not be easy. Christianity is not easy. It's not easy. Maybe that's why it's true, right? Because it's not easy. And it's not cheap. You can be demoted, he said to them. You can lose your job. You can lose your friends. You can even lose your children that are climbing the communist ladder. And you could even lose your life. And John Oros said, imagine the joy I felt when I looked into the eyes of those Romanian Christians with tears in their eyes. And they said, if we lost it all, but only had our relationship with Jesus Christ, it would be worth it. So there's two things happening there. Either those people are crazy, or they're not. They experience not the something, but someone in a way that changed, fundamentally changed their priorities of their lives, where they said, it's fine. Do whatever you want to me, because I'm not going anywhere. I'm content at his feet, and nothing's going to take that away from me. Jesus said, don't fear those who can hurt you physically or kill you, even that's like the ultimate. Jesus said, don't, don't fear any of that. You should fear the one who could put body and soul into heaven or hell. Let's reorder those priorities because he is worth it. But maybe this is one reason why Christianity has been on the decline in America for decades. Not that many have tried it and found it wanting, but that many have tra- tried it and found it too hard. Just like people did back then. I'd imagine when Jesus said, take up your cross, follow me. Do you really think many people t- took him up on that offer? <laughs> I don't think so. I think a lot of people probably walked away. Said this, I don't think so. And it's even harder now in our very me-first age. And God gives us the ability to choose, rightly and wrongly. We have that ability. Yes, the way to life is narrow. And very few find it. And the way to destruction is very broad. And unfortunately, many people choose it. But within that narrow way, this way Jesus is offering, is a radically inclusive invitation to all men and women, boys and girls, whoever you are, wherever you come from. And then if you think, okay, that sounds pretty good. I might take you up on that offer, Jesus. But then you have to logically realize Jesus sees your clue report. He sees your home inspection, right? He sees it. He knows your life. Lord, are you sure? I've got a messed up foundation. I've trusted some horrible things in my life. Lord, are you sure? I've got a bad roof. I've let rain in a whole lot and I'm feeling pretty beat down. Are you sure about this? Because the windows and doors got kicked in a long time ago and a lot of intruders came in and messed up the place. Are you sure? Imagine yourself as a living house. I wouldn't even say a temple. And God comes in to rebuild 
your house. And he starts to do the usual things you'd expect, like you know, fixing the drywall, gets the raccoon out of the attic. That's a good move. You know, starts to clean up a few things, just the usual sort of you know, fixer-upper stuff. But then he starts doing a bit more than you expected. He starts banging around more than you kind of anticipated. He starts making it way grander than you thought, putting up towers and a courtyard and beautiful marble floors and, and all sorts of things. You thought you were going to be a decent little cottage and quaint and easy, but he was building a temple fit for a king in which he wanted to reside. And this is where grace enters the picture big time. Because the love of God has been pursuing you your whole life. He's never stopped. This call of Jesus is a call of grace. It's a call of grace to people. He's never stopped making that call. This is a call of love to the world. See, Jesus sees every faulty thing about your home inspection and mine. And he still wants in on the transaction. He's not walking away from the table. Yeah, I'll buy that. It's a, it's a little bit of fixer-upper, a little bit of a lemon, but I'll take it. And then you're mine. I want you to belong to me. This is what redemption looks like. He wants all of us, your past and your present and your future. And when he calls us to take up the cross and count the cost, he's offering this invitation to all people. And when we come to the Lord's table this morning, this is an invitation as well to all people to come with open hands to receive the love and the grace of God, the real presence of Jesus in our midst. And as you come to the table in a few moments, let this be the time where you come at the presence of God, come at the Lord's feet and say, Lord, I have counted the cost. I've thought it through. I want to give you my life. I'm running toward you. Because at the end of the day, at the end of my life, what did I live for? I want to live for you. All this other stuff's going to to pass away, Jesus said. But my words, he said, will never pass away. And he said words like this. On the night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body.